So why do we give at all? Why do we give to a church? Why do we give to missions? If most of us were asked that question, we would probably respond with some similar answers. Many of us assume that the only reasons we should give, for instance, to Fellowship Baptist Church, are to help pay the expenses of this ministry, and not just to pay the expenses, but to do so so that we can do ministry here, so we can reach people, so we can help our community. And some of us may think that's the only reasons that we should give. But if you think that, that is not true. When it comes to missions, many of you may think the only reason that that, that you should participate in missions giving above just regular offerings is to help missionaries. So we can pay for their plane tickets, help them find a place to live, help them find a building to meet people, get them Bibles and material so they can reach people all over the world and, and, and do the work of the gospel. And some of us might think that's the only reason I should give to missions. But if you think that, that's not true either. Now, to be clear, both of those are good reasons to give. In fact, they're biblical reasons to give. We, we do give to the church to support the church, to support ministers and ministries so the church can be effective. But that is not the only reason we give. And here's the point. That's not even the ultimate reason we give according to the text that we're going to look at tonight. And, and when it comes to missionaries, we do give to missionaries to get them to the field because they can't get there without money. We do give to missionaries to help with their visas and help with their travel expenses and give them a place to live and a place to meet. Those are good, right reasons, but that's not the ultimate reason that we should give to missions. There are, if you get nothing else from tonight's message, there are two, two statements, two key statements that I want you to write down if you have something to write with. If you're not at the journaling type, I want you to create a note in your phone and put these in your phone. If you don't know how to type on your phone, you can take a picture of the slide on the screen. Two very important statements. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, I want you to remember these two things. I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to look at our text. Statement number one. For the Christian, the ultimate purpose of giving is not to meet needs, but to worship God. Let me read it again. For the Christian, the ultimate purpose of giving is not to meet needs, although that is a purpose, as we will discover. But, here's the ultimate purpose, to worship God. You got that? Picture? Writing down? Whatever? Statement number two. Statement number two. If 
worship is the ultimate purpose of our giving, it should also be the primary motivation for our giving. Let me read it again. Statement number two. If worship, as we said in the first statement, is the ultimate purpose of our giving, it should also be the primary motivation for our giving. Now, with these two things in mind, turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, or you can read it on the screen. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. The apostle writes in Philippians chapter 4, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Here's the title of my sermon tonight. Giving, it's long, it's, it's wordy, I'm sorry. If you don't like the whole thing, just remember the first part. But for those of you who want the whole title, it's a mouthful, but here it is. Giving is for God. Embracing generosity as worship. Bow for me for just a quick word of prayer. Father, we're not here to just hear the voice of a mere man, but to hear you speak to us through your word. Restrain me, keep me from taking my own thoughts and using those to shape and form and override your text. And instead, use your text that's before us tonight to shape and form and override my thoughts so that what I'd be communicating is your word, clear and effective. And that through that, you would change us and make us more like your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Philippians, in one way, is a thank you letter. That's really the occasion, one of the main reasons Paul was writing. A lot of the churches that the apostle writes to and that John writes to in the Revelation have some, and and even all the churches of Galatia have a terrible disaster happen. And the epistle, that is also God's word, is often damage control. And that's not the case as much with Philippians. Paul was in prison. The church at Philippi uh, sent Epaphroditus to where Paul was in prison to bring him the gift And one of the main reasons he has Epaphroditus write a letter and take it back is to say thank you. So Philippians is a thank you letter in a lot of ways. But what's interesting about Philippians is that 
you don't have a thank you at the very beginning. In fact, here we are, we find ourselves at the very end of the letter before his goodbye in the last couple of verses. And ironically, he is just now getting to the, the, the whole point of the thing. It's at the very end that Paul tells him, oh, by the way, yeah, I got the gift. Epaphroditus brought it to me. Thank you. And more or less, that's what he says. I'd like to imagine that when the, the, this little church at Philippi is hearing the letter read out loud, maybe by Epaphroditus, they're sitting there thinking, man, he's went on and on about all this stuff, about unity and about humility and about working together for the gospel, and he's not said thank you. I'm, I'm kind of worried he didn't like our gift, right? Finally, at the end, Paul says, oh, by the way, I got your gift. And there's almost, you feel, as you read the text, you feel this collective sigh of relief. Like, well, thank goodness he wasn't disappointed with, with what we sent. You know, sometimes you'll give your kid a gift for Christmas and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Just go ahead and walk this to the trash for me, dad. And it, it's kind of deflating, right? And the Philippians didn't want to feel that way. They, they loved Paul. You remember, we know some of their stories in Acts 16. We have Lydia and the girl who'd been demon-possessed and the jailer and his family. They loved this man. And so, no doubt, they were so relieved to hear that he received and appreciated their gift. Paul kind of assuages uh, their fears. He's kind of telling them in the, ver- in the early verses we read, I don't, I don't resent you for how long it's been. I know your care has always been there for me. You, you just haven't had a, a chance to act on it yet. I wasn't doubting you. Then in the next sentence, he, he, he talks about, well, it's kind of a surprise. Uh, if you look at verse, verse 13, verse 12 and 13, um, uh, he, he tells them, <laughs> he, he tells them, I'm sorry, after verse 10, um, when he says, you're also careful, but you're lacked opportunity, he's, he's kind of like telling them, I know you wanted to send a gift, you just didn't have a chance yet. I'm not mad at you, don't worry. But he says in verse 12 and 13, just so you know, I'm not talking about this in respect of want because I've learned something. What does he learn? Well, Philippians 4.13. For some of you, it's your favorite verse. In Philippians 4.13, after talking about how he's learned to be abased and how to abound, not one or the other, but both, everywhere, in all things. He's learned to abound. He's learned to suffer need. And so he says in verse 13, in this context, Therefore, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can go with a gift and enjoy it, and I'm enjoying it, Philippians. But you know what? I could go without a gift. I was content before you sent the gift. Before Epaphroditus ever came to where I was locked up, I was already content in the Lord. Now, can you imagine the confused faces? Can you imagine the confused faces? I think we're so distanced from the world of the Bible, we don't always imagine what's going on very well. I want you to imagine for just a second, maybe a similar circumstance. Tanner Walton takes the team group to a third world country to do a missions trip. Tanner does something dumb. You can imagine it, right? It's easy. Okay, he does something dumb. He gets in prison. And then we get this email to the church that he wants us to wire him like $20,000 so they'll release him. So we raise the money. Some of us aren't giving, but some of you are generous souls, and you will. And we raise the 20000 and we wire it. And he, and he tells them, well, by the way, you know, I, I appreciate you letting me out of prison. I appreciate you guys wiring the money, but I was fine. I was content in Jesus. I know how to be in prison. I know how to be out of prison. I know how to abound and suffer and eat. So you didn't have to send the money, but I'm glad you did. 
Now, some of you would be thinking, well, if you're doing that well, will you give us our money back, right? Imagine what the Philippians are thinking. Paul is telling them after they sacrifice greatly that even though, even before he had received the gift, he was doing okay in the Lord. And that kind of raises a question, doesn't it? When Paul says, thank you for what you sent, it was wonderful, but I didn't need it. It kind of makes you wonder. It kind of makes you wonder. And it made them wonder, if Paul can feel this way in any situation, if this is how God takes care of his missionaries, if this is how God takes care of his apostles, if this is how God takes care of his ministries, that even in unimaginable circumstances they have this contentment, why why did we give anything at all? So with chapter 4, verse 13, fresh in their ears, because they would have heard all this in one sitting. The believers in this church are bewildered. And we know they're bewildered because he, he's going to answer the question that they're asking in their minds. They're bewildered thinking this, if the ultimate purpose of our generosity was not to meet Paul's needs, then what is the purpose of our generosity? If God was going to take care of Paul, whether we sent him the gift or whether we didn't send him the gift, then at the end of the day, what's the point? We can apply it to our own situation, can't we? If you, if you stop giving to your church, are God's churches just going to sort of like disappear? Is Christianity and the gospel just going to disappear because you didn't give money? Or will God keep it going? God will keep it going, won't he? If there's a missionary that God wants to be in another country where he can preach the gospel and he can reach people and plant churches and we decide not to take him on, is God going to get that missionary to the field? Yeah. So it raises a question. If you have a big enough view of God, if you have a big enough view of God as Paul is giving them here, then you're going to, at some point, you are going to ask if God takes care of his ministries and his people and his servants so well, then why should I give at all? That is really the question of our text. Paul begins to answer, beginning in verse 14, in verses 14 through 17. Uh, Paul's answer to that question starts in verse 14, and here's what he tells them first. Number one, their generosity was not a waste. Their generosity was not a waste. He wants them to know this was not foolish. Hey, yes, I can do all things. Yes, I know how to abound and suffer need. I know how to do well in prison, out of prison. I know how to do well when I'm getting gifts and when the gifts stop coming. But listen, Philippians, verse 14, notwithstanding, despite all of that, you still did the right thing. You did well because you gave to my need, my affliction, my, my hurting, my problem. You did the right thing by giving to me, even though God takes care of me. You see, it wasn't a waste. It wasn't pointless. And then look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. He, he reminds them, he doesn't want to sound ungrateful. He doesn't want to sound like he doesn't care. He doesn't want to sound like he, he is unaware of their sacrifices. So he reminds them, they've been with him from the very beginning. Even when he was in Thessalonica, they were helping him. Even if you notice verse 16, even when Paul wasn't there, when he wasn't available, uh, they were giving to him even when he wasn't preaching and teaching to them. 
They had this sort of contractual relationship going on, it seemed. He would preach and teach. He would lead the church. He would help them. He would encourage them. He'd show them the way of Jesus. They would help support him. And even when he was in Thessalonica, unable to do his part of the deal, they still supported him as if he was still there ministering to them. So Paul is saying in verses 15 and 16, hey, I know how much this has cost you. I know it's been a sacrifice. I haven't forgotten what you've done for me. When I talk about I can do all things through Jesus, I'm not being ungrateful. I'm not minimizing what you've done. I'm not minimizing all that you have done for me. Your generosity was good. Your giving was right. But why? Why, Paul? if, If we have this big view of God, we understand God takes care of his people, God takes care of Paul, God takes care of his ministries. If that's true, Paul, if you can abound in any situation, then how is giving not pointless? How is it not a waste? His answer comes in a compressed form in verse 17. And then it's fleshed out in verses 18 and 19. Notice verse 17. He says, not because I desire a gift. You're, you're not wasteful. This wasn't pointless. It wasn't wrong. But it's not because I desire a gift. But look, look at verse 17 in your Bibles. But I desire fruit. They may abound to your account. See, the primary reason Paul rejoiced in their generosity was not located in how it benefited him. But, but he's saying that it revealed something about them. It was fruit that abounded to their account. What does that mean? Does that mean like if Paul gets somebody saved, they get some sort of like, like ka-ching in heaven or something? Well, not, no, not exactly. Here's what it means. If you want to know what it means, that's, that's weird. If you want to know what it means, if you want to know what it means, you just have to read the whole letter, which they had just done. Paul talks about their fruitfulness in chapter one, all right? This, is an, this idea of fruit abounding to their account was an accounting term of their day. It meant you invest in something that it accrues interest and then later you have all of this interest. That's the fruit. That's what you get for investing. All right, look at chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is his introductory prayer for them. How is Paul praying for the Philippians? Verse 9. This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Verse 11, this is key. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. He's telling at the very beginning of this letter, Philippians, I want you to know how I'm praying for. Here's the climax of my prayer, that you would be fruitful and bring glory to God. And so we get to chapter 4 and he brings up fruitfulness again. He's telling them, that the fact that they, give, that they gave to him, what makes him rejoice is not his greed, it's not even his need. What makes him rejoice is that it's evidence of their fruitfulness. It is evidence by them giving, it shows more about their relationship with God than it shows about their relationship with Paul. They're fruitful. He wanted them to demonstrate their spiritual health and their gift did that. That's why he rejoices. That's why he rejoices, he says in verse 17. So number one, He wants them to know their generosity is not a waste. And then number two, number two, their generosity was toward God. Hold on. David, weren't they giving to Paul? Yes, they were. (laughs) They were giving to Paul. Was their generosity toward Paul? Yes, absolutely it was. But while that's going on, 
while they're loading up all this stuff to send on the back of Epaphroditus, and while Epaphroditus makes this trip to where Paul is imprisoned, while they're being generous toward Paul, listen, something else is going on at the same time. And we see what it is in verse 18. Verse uh, Verse 18. He says, I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. What was sent? What's the effect? What's the end result? Well, he doesn't stop there, does he? Look what he says next. Here's what it is. Here's what they sent to Paul. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You say, well, David, they weren't giving to God. They were giving to Paul. Right. But in their generosity to Paul, whether they fully realized it or not, Paul is telling them this. Here's why I am rejoicing. Here's why this means spiritual fruit. Here's why this is evidence that you're growing in the Lord. Because when you were giving to me, you weren't just giving to me. You were giving to God. And you weren't just trying to give something to God. This was an offering that pleased him. It smelled sweet to him. It's like a thank offering of the Old Testament. It wasn't just to Paul. The generosity may have been aimed at Paul, but in aiming it at Paul and thinking of Paul's needs and trying to help him and trying to help Paul further the gospel, they were doing something else. They were worshiping God. You see, the ultimate end of their generosity was not meeting the needs of Paul. Did it meet the needs of Paul? Yes. But that's not how, where Paul leads them. That's not the climax. Where Paul leads them to is this. Listen, Philippians. By giving to me, By giving to me, you were worshiping the God who sent me. By giving to me, by giving to the gospel that I preach, by giving to the kingdom work that I'm doing, you were worshiping and praising God. Every act of generosity they did, performed for the work of God, was also an act of worship to God. When Lydia hosted them in her house, When Lydia hosted Paul and Silas at her house back in Acts 16 where they first met and she got saved. She wasn't just helping Paul and Silas. She was worshiping God. When the church scraped together all the money they could scrape together to send him something to remind him that they cared and that they loved him and that even though he was in prison, he wasn't alone. They weren't just helping Paul. They weren't just meeting needs. More than that, they were worshiping God. Paul says, this is what I'm rejoicing in. This is where I get my joy from. I'm opening up all these presents that you sent me, you could say. And as I'm doing it, I'm full of joy because I'm realizing this was all done to God. To God. When God's people are generous, God receives each act of generosity as an act of worship. Now, you may be hung up on this a little bit because you're thinking, well, David, aren't you going to tell us what worship is? Doesn't worship mean that I have to sing or or that I have to be at church on Sunday morning or that I have to bow down or that maybe I have to stand up? Doesn't worship involve something like that? Well, let's let's broaden out a definition a little bit. And I'm going to give you a definition of worship from one of my favorite uh, writers on spirituality, Don Whitney. And here's how Don Whitney defines worship. Don't worry, it's not a long definition. I promise. Don Whitney says worship is simply this. Focusing on and responding to God. That's it. So yeah, when we, we, when we came in this morning and we were singing, and I hope you were singing, even if you can't sing well, 
You can sing out of love for God. When you were singing, yeah, you were worshiping God because you were focusing on him, but not just that, you were responding to him because we can't initiate a relationship with God. We respond to him. He has to act. He has to send his son. He has to show grace, and we are recipients. Yeah, when we pray, we're worshiping, of course. But if worship is focusing on and responding to God, which seems to make sense with what Paul is saying, then did you know that even our giving can be worship? If we're doing it out of this heart that's focusing on and responding to the Lord? That's what they were doing. When they were giving, they were telling God, God, I'm doing this because I love you. God, I'm doing this because you saved me. I'm doing this because I want to make much of you. So I'll give. Now, hold on. Is all giving worship? Not necessarily. Not even all generosity is necessarily worship, right? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm a serial killer, but I need more weapons. Can you loan me $5,000? You say, sure, I'm going to be generous. Go buy a bunch of weapons and kill people. That would not be worship, right? Maybe an extreme example. There's a lot of things we can do even with other people, and be generous, but it's not necessarily an act of worship because it's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about funding something from which God's name was known. They were giving to something so that the gospel could be heard and so that it could be believed. They were giving so that there could be new worshipers of God, right? Just because we we give out money doesn't necessarily mean we're worshiping God. But if we give out money, if we give our funds, if we sacrifice in the same way these people were, for the same cause, for the same kingdom, then we're not just helping meet needs. We are worshiping God. What does God do in response to this? Well, number three, their generosity would be blessed by God. Because their generosity was worship because their giving was not just to help Paul, but it was ultimately worshiping God, God was going to respond to it by blessing it. And how does God bless it? How does God respond when we give as worship? Well, it says in verse 19, my God shall supply all your need. In response to your worship, I just want you to know, Philippians, here's God's promise. He's going to supply all of your need, and by what standard? According to his riches in Jesus Christ. Not only did their generosity please God, God would bless their generosity. Paul was imprisoned. You realize he can't can't teach them right now? He can't have fellowship with with them right now? And he would love to. He loved the church at Philippi. New Testament scholars say he loved this group of people more than any other group of people. Don't you think he would have loved to put his arm around some of them and pray with him? But he can't do that. He can't bless them with his ministry in response to what they've done for him. But even though Paul in prison is not in a place where he can bless them, God is in a place where he can bless them. Do you see this? God, uh, Paul can't respond to their generosity, but God can. God can. So, even, so Paul says this, even though, friends, I can't repay what you've done, God will take up my slack. God will make it worth the while. Why? Because of God's resources in Jesus Christ. Whatever they needed, whatever resources they needed to make up for this financial sacrifice, whatever contentment they were lacking, 
whatever satisfaction they needed from being so generous, because they were united to Jesus, God's going to make it okay. Yeah, you've given a lot, Philippians. You've been generous. You've been really sacrificial. But I promise you, because of your connection to Jesus Christ, God will take care of it. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. Now, how exactly does this promise come about? God, uh, Paul says God's going to meet your needs. Okay, Paul, how is God going to do this? How is God going to, exactly, how is God going to meet the needs of those who give, whether to the church or to missions? If people give to gospel work, how exactly does God bless them? What does it mean that he meets our needs? Well, if that's a question the church had, they don't get an answer. Now, you can look down at your Bible and you can look, you can look as, as much as you want, but Paul doesn't explicitly tell them what that looks like. Now, perhaps we have questions too about how this works. We may wonder, okay, David, if, I, if I'm going to be generous in my giving to the church to support the work of the gospel, or if I make a commission, maybe I've, you've never made a commitment to missions before and you're thinking, maybe I'll make one this year, maybe this will be my first time. Uh, you're saying that if I give to the work of the gospel, God's going to meet my needs, but I want something in paper. What exactly is God going to do for me if I'm generous? Now, people have a lot of answers about this. You'll find stories from people and even online. Some of them may be true. That they gave a lot to the work of the Lord and they got a check in the mail. Or random money just showed up. Or they got a raise for more than they, they, they gave. There, there could be all kinds of things like, uh, that happen like that. I'm not saying those things don't happen. I've met enough people I genuinely trust. I think those things do happen. But that is not what Paul is talking about. Paul and scripture does not make a promise that if you give financially to the work of the Lord, you're, you're going to get all of that money back. There will be people that promise you that, prosperity theologians. They're on TV. And hold on, hold on. That may be one of the things God does. But God doesn't promise this. Why? Why? There's a greater motivation at work here. There's a greater motivation. And that is worship. Why doesn't Philippians 4.19 tell us exactly what it's going to look like for God to meet our needs? Do you think it's possible that worshipers don't ask those kinds of questions? Hold on a second. When you came into church today, if you came to worship, let's just assume you came to worship. You're going to pray, you're going to participate in the singing, the congregational singing. You're going to pour your heart out to God. Did you come in the back and, and ask somebody, hey, if, if I spend this much time singing, or if I come and I pray, or if I listen to the sermon, uh, what exactly is God going to do for me? Of course you don't ask something like that. Worshippers aren't looking for payback. Their focus is all on the object of their worship. So yeah, Paul doesn't say how exactly God's going to meet your needs. But here's the point. God will give you whatever you need, and that may not be financial, by the way, because you are connected to his son. (laughs) You're adopted. He's going to take care of you. Well, is he going to take care of me on my terms? Hey, that's not worship. That's not worship. We see, we don't demand such specificity if we see generosity as worship, because if we see generosity as worship, our focus is not, if I enter this 
if I do this thing, what am I going to get out of it? Our focus is completely taken up in the person of God. We want, to, we want to give because we love him. We want to give because we're responding to him. We want to give because he's been so good to us. You don't have to tell worshipers, by the way, how God will enrich their lives if they worship. They are experiencing it already in many different forms. And here's the real beautiful thing about verse 19. Here's, this, I, I don't want you to miss this. Here's what's so amazing about verse 19. Because generosity is worship and not just meeting needs... God will not ignore any act of generosity done for his kingdom. Did you get that? Because generosity is not ultimately just about meeting needs, it's about worship, then there is no gift too small for God to be pleased by. Now hold on. If, if giving, if we only gave, if we only gave to meet the needs of our church and to meet the needs of our missionaries then a $100 gift is better than a $10 gift. I mean, right? We can do math. If we only gave to meet needs, then the quality of your gift depends on the amount. And you may think, well, if I can't give 10 grand, I can only give $10 this week, then, then that does, it doesn't mean anything. And if we only gave to meet needs, you would be right. It won't make a difference. But that's not the ultimate reason we give. Ultimately, we don't give to meet needs. We give to focus on and respond to God in response to what he's done for us. Well, David, I can only give $5. Give it as a worshiper. And it will be just as meaningful to the person who can easily, without burden, give five grand if you're doing it toward God. You see, generosity being for worship doesn't mean our giving is less meaningful. It actually makes it infinitely more meaningful because whatever we give, God will not ignore. God will notice. And not only notice, but Paul says it pleases him like a sweet aroma when we're giving it for him. Let's return to where we started. And I hope you see these things in our text. Number one, for the Christian, the ultimate purpose of giving is not to meet needs, but to worship God. Two, if then worship is the ultimate purpose of our giving, it should also be the primary motivation for our giving. So what does this mean for us? Well, uh, there are four kinds, the way I see it, there are four kinds of givers in this church. Four kinds of givers who give to the church or and missions. Here's the four kinds. Um, number one, some of us, here's the kind of giver you are. You, you're a non-giver. And uh, a non-giver is just someone who doesn't give, right? <laughs> if you're a non-giver, here's what this text is calling you to do. You should give. <laughs> you should give. Whatever you can. It doesn't matter because here, here's the thing. As long as you're doing it toward God, God calls you to give. God calls you to be generous as a way of worshiping him. So if you're a non-giver, you should give. That's pretty easy, right? Second category, some of us are givers who don't think about why we give. You put an envelope in the offering plate. Maybe all kinds of reasons. I don't know why, you, you know, you're just not even thinking about it. Maybe you put an envelope in the offering plate because your parents raised you uh, to, 
that, that they just told you to do that. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I grew up in Sunday school. You put something in the offering plate, that's what you do. You don't really, really give it a second thought. Some of you give online, and you've really never thought about why. It just seems like the thing to do. Some of you may give just kind of out of, I don't know, impulse. It's like, well, I'm going to write a check to the church this week. You just maybe to feel good about yourself. I don't know. Maybe because Randy Ortiz is, is, is taking the offering and, and, and you think, wow, he's wearing a cool jacket. I'm going to put some money in the offering plate. I don't know. That's not necessarily happened to me, but you give, and that's great. By the way, we're thankful that you give, but listen, uh, God gives us an incredible motivation here to give. We're giving for him. Now, number three, and this is probably, this is, you know, we have 80% participation in tithing. I don't know what our participation is in, in missions. I don't think we're tracking that explicitly. It's not in our report. We have a lot of people, I bet, in this church, and you're in category number three, and here's number three. You do give, and you don't just give. You give for good reasons. You give because you want to see people in liberal hear the gospel. You want a staff so we can always be available to talk to people about their soul all through the week. You want a nice building so people can come in and grow and learn about Jesus. Those are good reasons to give. You give to missions. You give to missions because you know there are people in other countries who don't know Christ and they need to hear the gospel. You give to missions because you know some of our missionaries, they, they need support, they need money, and some of them often will be on the field and struggle and, and be too embarrassed to tell their supporting churches back home. And so you give to missions. You're generous. Hey, that's a great reason to give to missions. Some of you are givers who give for good reasons, but listen, you're not giving for the ultimate reason. Those are all great motivations. That needs to be part of the package deal. You need to be in considering all of those things, but you're not giving for the ultimate reason because you've never given as worship. It's one thing to give money to the offering because you say, I love my pastor. And I love our pastor. It's one thing to give to the offering because you believe in the mission of our church. And I love the mission of our church. But it's different to give just because you love the Lord as a way of telling him, this God, this is not much, but God, take this because I love you. That's worship. And that's the category I think God is calling us to be in. Give financially to our missionaries, yes. Give to our church, yes. But listen, don't just give because of their needs. We have some missionaries coming in this week. We're going to meet the Ferrans. The Ferrans are going to Ireland. People in Ireland need to be saved. People in Ireland need to hear about Jesus. And so if we get behind this family, let's support them. Go all in. Talk to them. Meet them. Write a check to mission so you can help them. Why? Because people in Ireland need to be saved so you can meet needs. But don't just give because of that. Give because you love God. We're going to have another ministry represented here, Medical Missions Outreach. We take for granted, you may complain about our healthcare because maybe you don't live in a big city and you think you deserve to live in a big city and you think, well, that's, I got to make these long drives or man, I wish I had a doctor that I liked more or you could complain about all kinds of things. The vast, the vast majority of the world, the vast majority of the population, they don't get to go into a room and assume that the, the, the chair they're going to sit on or the bed that they're going to lay on has been sanitized. If they have anywhere to go at all. 
So we have an organization that's not only sending medical professionals throughout the world, but sending the gospel with them so people can hear about Jesus. Give because of that, but don't just give because of that. Give as an act of worship to God who loves you and has saved you. Benjamin and Bernice George are going to be here this week. We're going to meet them. Bernice grew up in Argentina. Benjamin grew up most of his life in Argentina as a missionary kid. Now he's a missionary. They're going back to reach people. They're going back to plant churches. We need churches in Argentina. Don't we? We need the gospel to be heard in Argentina. So yes, give so more people in Argentina can hear about Jesus. But don't stop there. Give out of worship to God. If you have been giving financially for good reasons, but maybe not the ultimate reason, will you consider, will you invite the Spirit to change you? David, are you, are you asking us to give more money? No. If, you, if that's how you're hearing this message, you've completely missed the point. No, I'm not asking you to give more money. I'm asking you to rethink why you give what you give. Well, how, how exactly does this uh, worship God? How exactly does it worship God? You know, if you, if you take a magnifying glass and hold it over something, it, it's not going to change the weight or, or the dimensions or any characteristics about what you're holding it over. You have a magnifying glass and you want to look at an ant? It, it, it weighs however much it weighs. It's, it's like a gram and a half. I don't, know, I don't know what an ant weighs. Who knows that kind of stuff? It is however long it is. Eighth of an inch, tenth of an inch maybe. When you hold the magnifying glass over it, you're not changing anything about it. You're just showing off what's already there so you can see it more clearly. And magnifying, like worship, doesn't change anything about God. By supporting missions and by supporting our church ministry, you're not making God big and beautiful and glorious. He already is those things. But by sending the gospel throughout the world, we're taking a magnifying glass and putting it over God so people can see how big and how beautiful and how glorious he already is. That's how missions magnifies God. And when we give to missions, we're magnifying God. So that someone somewhere can hear the gospel for the first time and say, I didn't think the gods were like that. I never knew. My parents, my community never told me that there was one God and that he was like that. That's magnifying God. We do that through our missions. The ultimate goal of our giving should also be the ultimate motivation for our giving. And here it is. Worship. Giving meets needs. But at the end of the day, giving is for God. Let's all stand.